What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Elise Colleen is the founding managing partner at Stillmark, a Bitcoin-focused venture capital fund. In this conversation, we talk about Bitcoin, mining, the development around the protocol, and what is the current state of venture funding and entrepreneurship in Bitcoin. I really enjoyed this conversation with Elise, and I hope you guys enjoy it as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I first want to talk about our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by FTX US. FTX.US is the safe, regulated way to buy and sell Bitcoin and other digital assets. You can trade crypto with up to 85% lower fees than top competitors. There are no fixed minimum fees, no ACH transaction fees, and no withdrawal fees either. FTX.US is also the only leading exchange that supports both Ethereum and Solana NFTs. Download the FTX app today and use referral code POMP to earn these free crypto on every trade over $10. The more you trade, the more you earn. Go download the FTX app today and use referral code POMP. This episode is brought to you by Unstoppable Domains. They recently launched an awesome feature to level up your Unstoppable Domains profile. It's called Badges. They translate wallet activity into achievements, so celebrating, reliving, and sharing your crypto story has never been easier. Before, these stories were buried in transaction logs that were hard to read, making them difficult to find and understand as well. But since Unstoppable Domain Badges are awarded based on your wallet activity, they're a super fun, easy way to build on-chain reputation just by doing what you do, like supporting NFT projects, collecting domains, or holding crypto. Unstoppable domain owners can activate badges from their account profile page right now. If you haven't minted an NFT domain yet, go to unstoppabledomains.com right now to own your name, starting as low as $5. Again, head over to unstoppabledomains.com right now to get started. This episode is brought to you by LMAX Digital, the number one institutional crypto exchange. They offer clients the deepest pool of crypto liquidity on the planet, underscored by a 100% uptime track record through volatility spikes. They leverage LMAX Group's liquidity relationships and ultra-low latency technology. LMAX Digital is the market-leading solution for institutional crypto trading and custodial services. LMAX Digital features a central limit order book that streams various cryptocurrencies, and it's all paired with US dollar, euro, and yen. They also allow you over the internet to execute your crypto trading strategy with precision. LMAX Digital, you may never heard of them. It's because they only serve institutions, but they're secure, they're liquid, and they're trusted. You can learn more at lmaxdigital.com pomp. Again, check it out at lmaxdigital.com pomp. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Elise, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm very excited to be doing this every Wednesday with you. Um, Likewise. I, fig- I figured the place where we could start uh, first seems to be the topic du jour across Bitcoin. Bitcoin maximalism. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it a religion? Is it not a religion? What's your general take on maximalism and kind of how do you look at maybe the pros and cons of something like that, which is really the culture that surrounds the technology that we spend so much time talking about? Well, first let's define it, right? So can you, I think people mean different things when they say Bitcoin maximalism. So what do you mean when you say it? 
I, I think that it's just people who believe that Bitcoin is the asset that has all of the value and they are maximalist, hence the name, right? In that they think that that ends up sucking up all of the value of everything else uh, into that one asset. Now, there's nuance of like, does that mean also other traditional assets like the stock market goes away, real estate goes away or whatever? Or are they just talking about it in the sense of the crypto market and kind of everything other than Bitcoin in the crypto market is a zero? But I think that's generally the thought process. What about you? Okay. So I suppose um, when I hear people talk about Bitcoin maximalism or um, when I refer to someone in my circle, maybe by that term, what I'm thinking about is someone that is adherent and passionate about the core values of Bitcoin. And that doesn't necessarily need to be to the exclusion of anything else, but it would be a person that's a Bitcoin maximalist would be someone that finds value and critical importance in decentralization, um, thinks deeply about what decentralization means, places value on stability of the network, the financial network that is Bitcoin, the payments network that is Lightning Network, and um, optimizes or hopes, wants developers to optimize for security and for the hard promises that Bitcoin makes. And so in the value of that, in their valuing of that, um, and in their acknowledgement of those being critical things for an, a global financial infrastructure, um, you know, folks can sometimes be, um, you know, less excited about projects that are shiny to others. And so I, I think that's what I hear when I hear people talking about Bitcoin maximalism. So I think that there's... Um a very strong argument that some of the biggest Bitcoin proponents, that's the strategy that they basically take is look, I'm focused on Bitcoin. There's other things. Uh, it's not even worth my time because focus is important. And if you go and I always try to lay it back on to like the legacy financial system and kind of the, the centuries of history that we have there. There's plenty of people who say I'm a SaaS investor. What happens in consumer tech or in hardware or anything else? Like, that's just not my thing, right? Like, SaaS is my specialty. It's what I'm most interested in. It's a thing where I feel like I know the most. I'm intellectually uh, stimulated, and I want to go focus on that. And so I think that that would be uh, a really strong argument of like, hey, I'm focused on Bitcoin, everything else. I don't really have an opinion. I think the piece that enters the conversation is that you can't put these general labels on entire groups of people. Right. It's kind of just like uh, politics. You couldn't say all Democrats are one way. All Republicans are one way. All independents are one way. It's a group made up of individuals. And those individuals obviously have various uh, um, uh, kind of thought processes and and uh, extremism on both sides of their viewpoint. When it comes to Bitcoin maximalism, it feels like uh, the smallest portion of that group is the loudest online. Which, okay, I mean, that is true of most groups. Uh, But they're the ones who also almost take pride in the toxicity and uh, uh, kind of the the things that may not be so much Bitcoin focused as much as it becomes more, uh, I call it like hate marketing, where it's like attack everything, attack everything, attack everything else. And I always wonder, like, is that actually pushing Bitcoin forward to accomplish those goals? Because what you laid out, I think almost everyone who holds Bitcoin is like, yeah. That thing I believe in. And it's actually the other components of people who spend all their time on Bitcoin. That's where the questions come in. So like, how do you think about the like, focus on our thing and let's push our thing forward versus the like, let's talk about other things or attack other things? Right. So here's the thing. We're talking about a technology that's governed by 
you know, the laws of science, um, you know, the laws of nature, mathematics, and some things are just are the way they are. And so, you know, I suppose that we're reliant on facts and less on feelings. And, and for that reason, it does make sense often to take a hard line stance that actually there's a way that this technology works. There's, there's known ways to break these technologies. And then on top of that, of course, it's a technology that has an incentive system layered on top of it, which is bound by the rules um, or, or sort of dynamics of social psychology um, and of communities. And so there's certain things that are just inherent truths and facts and I, I'm not sure that I think that pointing those out or the lack of that sort of standard out in other ecosystems is a negative. Um, I, you know, I suppose that there's a lot of value in the delivery of a message. But I think if we look at what's happened over the past couple of weeks, you see the value of reminding people or letting people know that may have less time to dedicate to Bitcoin or to the cryptocurrency space, letting them know the types of questions they should be asking before participating in other protocols um, or, or, you know, certain financial schemes. Yeah, it, it's interesting too because, um, and, and again, I'm playing a little bit of devil's advocate here because I think it, it, it's a uh, it's course. a thread worth pulling on uh, to to get people to understand the pros and cons of just the discourse in general. Um, I think that there's many critics. I've seen them tweeted online saying, "Oh, the Bitcoiners are taking victory laps because they pointed out A or B failed." But they have like a one percent batting average because they also said a hundred other things were going to fail that didn't fail. Now. How do you think about, um, in one area, it's like, okay, there's a 1% batting average. Let's just say we'll use the extreme uh, example. But on the other hand, like, just because the other things haven't failed doesn't mean they're not going to fail in the future. Like, like, kind of, how do you think about that? The timeline is important, of course. Yeah. (laughs) So I think the unfortunate thing, so I, I acknowledge what you're saying, but I have to, you know, push back a little bit because frankly, what I see is really toxic are the promises and sort of descriptions of, um, you know, unicorns and rainbows that we see in other spaces. So for instance, the topic of the past few weeks has been around this black box yield that was produced both by particular companies or by protocols that users um, that aren't spending 24 seven in um, cryptocurrency or Bitcoin were relying on or, or were playing around with, were tinkering with. And it was clear that the, you know, sort of putting money into a black box, hoping that more people will put more money into that black box so that you could then pull out your money plus theirs. It was clear that that wasn't, you know, sustainable at scale. And so I'm not sure that pointing that out was toxic. I think what I would, what I would suggest is much more toxic and malevolent is actually creating that structure and suggesting to people that that's something that they could depend on, would be secure and would be scalable and sustainable over the long term. Um, You know, so maybe this is a difference of opinion, but on my side, what I'm, you know, excited about is seeing people sort of try to pass along a, a better understanding of the tech develop stronger narratives so that those stories can be repeated. And I would agree with you that some of that can be done perhaps in a more compelling way um, if it's done empathetically. But I, I also think that people are trying to speak to their own audience. And so narratives will be different across different sorts of groups. Yeah, you're very interesting in kind of the ecosystem because you spend majority, if not all of your time focused on entrepreneurs building in the Bitcoin ecosystem, right? And so uh, many of those companies, some I think we've co-invested in, many we've looked at, you know, uh, at the same time. 
is a lot of those founders take pride in what I would call like a Bitcoin only approach, right? We are Bitcoin right. only. We don't support other tokens. We, we do all this. Um, and some of these businesses have become incredibly valuable and it's very obvious. At the same time, I've heard many people make the argument that some of the centralized exchanges that support a ton of different tokens have actually driven incredible adoption of Bitcoin. And mm -hmm. so when you start sure. to think about like infrastructure being Bitcoin only versus some of the other stuff, how do you think as somebody who's focused on pushing Bitcoin forward, like, is there a framework that you evaluate either investments or even just like what's quote unquote good for Bitcoin when it comes to like Bitcoin only versus things that help Bitcoin, but they also may do other things as well? So here's the thing. We have to be Bitcoin only because there's so much going on that to do really good work in Bitcoin, you have to be entirely focused on it. To be anything less than 24-7, you're going to miss things. I said recently that I know that we, you know, we see several hundred companies a year. We spend, you know, most of each day talking to Bitcoin founders. And I know that we are still missing stuff because there's so much activity in the space. So we have to be focused. You also pointed out that founders, uh, you know, a, a certain group of founders in the Bitcoin and Lightning space are mission driven. We are in part, of course, that's not how the venture capital firm is organized. We're organized to make a return for our investors and to help propel founders forward um, to achieve what they want to achieve on hopefully a quicker time scale, time scale excuse me. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's a large group of founders in this ecosystem that are missionary based. They believe that they're changing the world and we see that in what they do. We hope that we're doing the same, actually, that that's a consequence of our work. And so those types of founders do care who they're paired up with, who they're in a portfolio with. And we're mindful of that. When we make a new investment, um, you know, it's I'm always hopeful that the rest of our portfolio companies will be excited to be in league um, with the new team. And that's been the reception that we've received so far. Um, but beyond that, because Bitcoin is scaling so quickly and adoption is growing so quickly and the nuances of what hap what's happening is important, I think that the really heads down and dedicated teams to this particular technology and set of values are advantaged. They're advantaged by missing less um, and also by being in dialogue with folks that are doing the same sort of work that they will depend on to sort of collaboratively build with. So what I mean by that is that in the Bitcoin ecosystem, of course, companies are in collaboration with a group of open source devs. Those are the folks that are building Bitcoin's core blockchain or the Lightning Network or other open protocols based on Bitcoin. And of course, you don't control those teams, but your work is in some ways um, shaped by it, right? Because we're at, we're at, um, where, you know, the guardrails are what the protocol can allow us to do. And at the same time, excuse me, at the same time, we're also impacted by other stakeholders in the ecosystem. And so an example of that historically is that we've seen adoption grow when on and off ramps, localized on and off ramps develop in different geographies. Um, that's true today. And so to get all of that signal, to understand how all of that is happening, how it affects your business, how it advances the ecosystem, you really have to be heads down here. When you understand kind of what founders are doing right now, talk to me about trends that you're seeing. Obviously across 
early stage startups and even growth stage startups, we've seen valuations come down quite a bit. Uh, we've seen funding dry up a little bit for uh, technology startups right now. Uh, a lot of that's macro market um, and, and kind of macro economy driven. Uh, obviously, in the Bitcoin ecosystem, Bitcoin itself has drawn down. What are you seeing from like funding trends uh, right now for founders building in Bitcoin? Okay, so pump, this is interesting. Here's what we're seeing. So we know that in a bear market, in a crypto bear market, there's a flight to security and safety. And at the same time, there's this pressure on BTC as the most liquid asset, right? So we have the price of BTC under pressure as folks liquidate BTC to cover debt. But on the flip side, there's an acknowledgement of, of Bitcoin as the more mature technology, the more secure technology, and the one that sort of proven itself historically and likely to most likely to continue for the duration. And so in the venture capital world, actually what we've seen is two things. So first, we've there we haven't seen a markdown in valuations because frankly, Bitcoin companies are already traded at a discount, right? A discount to their crypto peers because we don't have these really hot competitive rounds driven by multiple multi-billion dollar funds that are competing for limited space. This is something maybe we can dig into later or in another episode. Um, but the, the other thing we're seeing in addition to that stability is that we're seeing generalist VCs want to pay more attention to the Bitcoin side. So since um, news of the recession hit in the past say six to eight weeks, I've been fielding inbound calls um, you know, for more information about some of our portfolio companies. So I probably shouldn't say more than that. But, you know, there's been, I think that in a bear market, you know, the things that glitter and shine um, or that are marketed really well become less appealing and people really want to go for the tech that has built, been built robustly and that's Bitcoin. So there's an opportunity here for Bitcoin founders. And what, can I flip the question to you? What do of you course. Think? Um, I think that I see a lot of founders who, uh, as things went up, kind of got high on their own supply a little bit. And this is not just Bitcoin. This is like across the entire market. Uh, and naturally, if uh, you got high on your own supply and you think that your company is amazing and all these things, it's really hard to then switch around and be like, hey, I got to be really critical about my business, right? Like what, like the market has changed. And so this stuff changes. Uh, the good news is that I think we're now at a point over the last six weeks that founders have kind of come to that realization. And I would say majority, if not all of them are like, okay, things have changed. I need to change. Um, but like, that's a hard process. And there's a lot of investors that I've spoken to. They're like, man, you know, we might've been thinking about this three months ago and it took a while to kind of get founders to see it as well. And I wish it would have happened earlier. Can't go back and change the hmm. past, but I think we're now at a, at a point where, uh, it's very obvious that the market has changed. Another thing that, uh, I've started to see is, um, I've starting to see the early signs, not a ton, but, uh, enough where I think it's going to become a trend. Many technical uh, um, folks, engineers, and, and, and uh, people kind of involved in the development process at larger companies starting to leave under the premise yeah. of, I'm thinking about building a company. And so naturally in bad times, people start saying to themselves, well, like, maybe I should just kind of go out on my own. And so if we're already seeing that, you know, it's somewhat early in this, uh, my guess is the next six months, we're going to see a ton of technical talent uh, kind of shuffle around and uh, a number of them will start companies that end up uh, being funded and kind of become the next crop of companies over the you know next two to three years. Yeah, we're seeing that too. 
Um, in addition to people leaving big shops, we're also seeing people, uh, excuse me, to start their own thing. We're also seeing them do that to join teams. And so it doesn't feel like there's any, um, you know, like halting of progression. And in fact, it feels the opposite. And I think that's due to what we talked about last time, which is the tailwinds that Bitcoin and um, tech innovation in general can appreciate now from the development of Lightning Network and the soon to be introduction of Tarot. It's it's catalytic to people's imagination, and so you know, you when people turn inward and reflect on what they're doing during a recession or in a bear market, you know, the, the things that matter are the meaning of your work, um, not just you know how fast you're building or how much money you're making. And so, the meaning of your work is, I think, always really clear on the Bitcoin side. Um, and so, I'm hopeful for that. I think that a bear market is not only a time to build, but also a time that signal becomes clearer. And of course, that's always what we're looking for. So, you know, I anticipate bear markets with um, excitement because because of those things. When you start looking at the industry right now, what are the things that people are trying to build? Like, where do you see the biggest opportunities? So if somebody's watching this and they say, hey, I want to uh, go build a company. Where are you like, man, if somebody figures this out, that's going to be a massive business opportunity. Okay, well, one thing that people have started building that, that I imagine could be a massive opportunity is the sort of browser extension access um, for Lightning across the web. There's a few great teams taking a shot at that, and I think that that will be, could accrue incredible value and drive adoption, of course. And in Bitcoin, it's great that those things are linked, right? It gives us a chance to do um, really well while doing good work. And so that will be an opportunity. There's there's a ton of them. So some of the things, um, you know, that are current from just the last week, in addition to the sort of accessibility piece and apps um, or infrastructure that will drive that has been, um, you know, some kind of deep in the weeds technical stuff like middleware in the lightning space. And so, you know, it's still, we're still in the state of the ecosystem where infrastructure is key and where things are really developing in a way that will define Bitcoin and Lightning for users. Um, and so it's, it's very varied, but it's, um, you know, the, the core protocols are mature enough that strong technical founders can build upon them. And we're, we're starting to see the ecosystem reap the rewards of that, at least in the very earliest stages in terms of the talent that's coming in to build. And so that was one of the themes of our last week. Um, maybe to circle back to a point we kind of like skimmed the surface on, Pomp, around deploying capital in a cryptocurrency space or um, a Bitcoin space. Would that be interesting to chat about for a second? I would love to do that. I feel like people are confused, so that's why I wanted to bring it up. So one of the things that I've seen floating around on social lately is this question of, you know, how much capital can you deploy in crypto versus Bitcoin? And so I wanted to just point out um, one of the sort of fundamental truths of the space, which is that, you know, Bitcoin investing is based on equity and a company's um, equity value or, or ultimately their enterprise value. And that's the same as tech. It's the same as traditional venture capital. And so the amount of money you can deploy in, say, the cloud network ecosystem or the cybersecurity ecosystem or Bitcoin is going to be capped. And that's because it's based on, you know, sort of the total equity value that existed at any one time in a snapshot. Now, if we flip over to cryptocurrency, we know that that's, that's not true. There's been several people that have taken um, stabs at explaining this, but basically, long story short is that 
can deploy more capital in the cryptocurrency space because these tokens are not attached to equity. They're not attached to a company's enterprise value. And so there's no sort of limit in terms of what you can achieve because you're not constrained by, um, you know, sort of like the, the parameters of that. The, what you're constrained by is how much excitement you can generate in these various communities. And we've seen in this um, just past bull market that you can generate a lot of excitement, especially with promises based on sort of weak premises, which gets us all the way back to the first topic we talked about, which was, you know, is it toxic to point out some of those false premises um, in these challenger texts? But, you know, all of that said, Pomp, I think the thing that gets really confused is whether Bitcoin is even competing or in the same space as um, other cryptocurrencies. And from my perspective, I think that they're almost entirely different. I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I, I would love to spend less time thinking about, um, you know, Bitcoin maximalism or toxic mass, uh, maximalism, just because of the fact that I think that these categories are just so entirely different. Um, that it, it should be that Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are grouped together much less. And I hope that in the going forward, um, as things diverge, that that will that will be true. Yeah. And I think we'll all be benefited by that. How do you think about stable coins? Like one of the things that I find fascinating about all of this, and, and I truly try to like remove myself for a second of like my own bias and just think of, um, it's very obvious that there's a, I don't know, 150 million people, I think at this point is the estimate, uh, that hold mm -hmm. Bitcoin, um, and, and uh, kind of our Bitcoiners, whether they identify that as not, they, they have Bitcoin. Uh, and it seems like the only other asset in the market that, uh, maybe half or more seem to be okay with, or kind of hold their nose and say like, all right, that's fine is stable coins. Now, sure. we talked last time about the idea of potentially building stable coins uh, on top of Lightning via Tarot and, and all of that. But like, how do you think about stable coins fitting into this? And is stable coins part of the Bitcoin story or is it something like that gets bifurcated away over time? So we think about the separation or the existence of two things in Bitcoin, which is BTC, the asset, and then this, this stack of protocols that make up the financial network of BTC of Bitcoin. And so to give people access to that financial network, to Bitcoin core or to Lightning Network, the payments network, um, in a way that suits their needs, I think is really important. It's non-judgmental. It allows more people to participate and it doesn't demand of them that they fit a certain mold. And so I think in that sense that stable coins um, on Lightning or in a Bitcoin environment really fit with the Bitcoin ethos, um, you know, all the way back into the very earliest sort of formation of what Bitcoin ethos was um, and how Satoshi, you know, proposed to the Cypherpunks forum you know, it would be used. And so while in 2009, it was probably hard to imagine stable coins and I haven't read the chats in a long time. Although when I started in Bitcoin, that's where I started. But I don't think that there were reference to stable coins um, on Bitcoin in the chats. But I imagine if there were, that they would have been well received because the mission of Bitcoin was to have as many people across the world, including in a free and fair financial system, and so stablecoins are a path to that. Of course, stablecoins are different than Bitcoin in that there's a centralizing centralized agency that acts as an issuer. Um, and so I understand, you know, some folks having hesitancy around that. And, you know, of course, if you're comparing it to a pristine asset like Bitcoin, it makes sense to have hesitancy for sure. 
But I think when you're living in an emerging market and your options are, you know, using cash locally on the street and that cash could be declining in terms of its purchasing power um, or using USD, which is more stable than many emerging market currencies, using USD on lightning, you know, then the trade-offs of using um, something that relies on a centralized issuer versus BTC that has volatility, I think for that family, those trade-offs are going to be defined in a different way. And, and we, you know, I, I wouldn't want to impose my, my own values on that or my own decisions on that. I would leave that, you know, to each family to do themselves. And I'm happy that they'll have those decisions to make soon. When you start to think about where we go from here, is it exactly like past bear markets? Just builders, put your heads down, build, the bear market will pass and, you know, kind of all will be good in the world? Or you have a different message for the founders that are in your portfolio or the founders that you talk to on a day-to-day basis? So here's here's the behind the scenes of how we talk to founders in general. So it's not just in the bear market that you have to be critical about your growth, right? So you when there's a bull market, metrics are going to look great up and to the right, even if there's things that are fundamentally not right in the company or the product. And so it's always important to evaluate growth and adoption of your own product from the perspective of where the market's at and adjust accordingly. And so what I mean by that specifically is that in a bull market, real growth means beating the growth of the market. And in a bear market, it's the same. So in a bear market, real growth is showing greater engagement with your current user base, for example, or continuing to grow, but at a slower cadence than you did when the market was um, you know, flat and bouncing around or when it was a bull market. And so it's, it's really about being close to the metrics and being able to interpret them um, well that advantages companies. So if there's something different about this bear market, I would say it's just that we, you know, have the advantage of having more maturity and lightning network and a roadmap that is really promising for entrepreneurs. And so my hope is that the bear market sort of gives people space to be heads down and build um, without having to sort of, you know, rush things for the sake of, uh, you know, catching bull market adoption trends, if that makes sense, Pomp. It, it makes a ton of sense. Um, when, where can we send people to find you on the internet, uh, whether on Twitter or, uh, or find out more about Stillmark? Sure. Well, so, you know, founders should email us and they have been. So stillmark.com has various ways for founders to reach out, but we're at founders. We have a special email for, which is just founders at stillmark.com. And I'm on Twitter too, but probably, you know, less than most. Um, but nonetheless, we see stuff, we meet founders on Twitter and, we're really excited about what's going on. We're definitely, we're still deploying capital. We don't see any slowdown um, from our peers or from the investors that we work with. And like I said, in fact, we, you know, we sort of, we see the opposite because folks that have been distracted by other stuff are paying more attention to, to Bitcoin. And so what I would say to investors that are interested in Bitcoin companies is that, you know, now is the time to really sort of understand why Bitcoin thrives when other spaces, you know, can be can be more challenging. Um, and getting those core values in a bear market, as you know, Pomp is the easiest time. I, uh, I think that you're onto something here and, uh, your, your Twitter bio is perfect. Just nice and clean explains exactly what you're here for, which I, uh, which I appreciate. Um, awesome. awesome. Elise, thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time to do this and, uh, we'll talk to you again next, uh, Wednesday. Thanks Pomp. Have a All good right. week. See you later. You too.
Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking to try to transition to get a new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to pompscryptocourse.com. We've developed a curriculum with the top teams across the industry. It's a three-week intensive training program with over 50 events packed into that three-week time period. Go to pompscryptocourse.com to learn more, and I'll meet you guys for the next episode.